You are listening to America's home for stadium news and information. Stadiums USA Radio. Once again, with your ticket to the action, here's Bill Hazen. It's down to four teams now in the Major League Baseball playoffs. This week will feature the fans and stadiums in Toronto and Cleveland. This is a good story. SB Nation writer Tom Dakers tells us about a changing attitude toward the game north of the border. And the Blue Jays' home field is changing as well. The Rogers Center is no longer a multi-purpose stadium. It's optimized specifically for baseball. And Indians broadcaster Tom Hamilton takes us inside Progressive Field and remembers the role the Indians played in the renovation of the city. And Stadiums USA's Mark Madoran reports on a new generation of glare issues in today's state-of-the-art stadiums. But first, the stadiums beat with Jeff Schmidt. Jeff? Well, the Las Vegas State Senate has approved a $1.9 billion dome stadium plan. And at this taping, the plan was under consideration by the state's General Assembly. If passed, it would pave the way for $750 million coming from hotel room taxes to partially fund the new facility. If this all comes to fruition and it still needs approval from the NFL, it would be the largest single sum of upfront public money ever paid for a stadium. $130 million more than Indianapolis paid for Lucas Oil Stadium in 2008. Well, the new NHL season is underway. On the venue front, there is a new facility in Edmonton for the Oilers. Rogers Place was christened Wednesday night when the Oilers knocked off Calgary to start the regular season. The new $614 million downtown facility seats 18,500. Meanwhile, in Buffalo, the venue is the same, but it has a new name. The Key Bank Center replaces the former First Niagara Center. The home of the Sabres features a number of changes this year. It's much lighter in there than it has been in in, in previous years. Um, That's something they'll see. Also, uh, we put in a new state-of-the-art Wi-Fi system. So anybody coming in with their smartphones and um, wants to get more um, information, it'll be there. It'll be much quicker than what they've seen in the past. That is Sabres Vice President Michael Gilbert talking with WBFO. The team is also rolling out a digital ticketing system that phases out traditional printed tickets. Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred expects news within the year regarding a new ballpark for the Oakland A's. Speaking before the Cubs-Giants game this week, Manfred said Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff is committed to keeping the team in Oakland. In referencing football's Raiders, Manfred said that Schaff is keeping baseball's A's priority number one. And renovation plans are moving ahead at Bulldog Stadium, the home of Fresno State football. New skyboxes, club seating, and easier stadium access all part of the upgrades. The plan is to have the changes done in time for the 2019 season. It's a $60 million project for the 36-year-old stadium. Bill, that's the very latest. Okay, Jeff, thank you. Man, they're having a lot of fun north of the border in Toronto. I want to tell you right now, the Blue Jays and the Cleveland Indians for the American League pennant 
And in this segment, we are going to dive right into it. And uh, the Blue Jays fandom and, of course, the great ballpark they play in, the Rogers Center, one of the truly great dome stadiums in existence. We're going to visit with Tom Dakers, managing editor of Bluebird Banner. This is the SB Nation site that is a one-stop shop for everything Toronto Blue Jays. The Jays lead the American League in attendance this year, 3.39 million fans, and that's an average of just under 42,000 fans per game, Tom. For years, Blue Jays fans were known to be very well-behaved and a a pretty quiet bunch, I'd say, for the most part. How engaged are these fans now? Oh yeah, no, it's loud in there now. They're they're not uh, they're not quiet anymore. Yeah, things are, things are great there. It really rocks. Um, when the dome's closed, it's it's really loud. But it's a better experience when the dome's open, and you know it's still still good and loud in there. What happened here? You remember the impassioned pleas of Dave Winfield from years ago? Yeah, was like, I do. Fans, yep. please support us. We need all the yelling you can give us. <laughs> what happened to change it around? It's become the end thing to do in Toronto. Uh, you know, it's been the last, like, three seasons. They've been doing great for attendance. Uh, of course, having a winning team helps a lot. It's been great. It's been loud. It's been been wonderful at the games. How knowledgeable are the fans as baseball fans, considering that the sport is, I wouldn't say relatively new, but obviously the depth is not there as compared to uh, New York, Chicago, or whatever. Yeah, hockey is a bigger sport here. Mm -hmm. But, you know, most of the fans that are going have been there for a while. So uh, the Jays have been there for a long time. It's been 20-some years since the last World Series win, so most of the people have grown up with baseball, so they're not they, they know what's going on. When the Rogers Center was built, Tom, I remember it very well. It was the first stadium that had that special roof that they have. There were splits in the middle. It's kind of a clamshell roof design, very unusual in its day. The first stadium to have it now, a lot of stadiums have something similar to that. Talk about playing in there, the experience in there. How unique is the experience there? Oh, it's great. With the with the dome opens, it's a great place to watch baseball. Um, it, you know, open air is the best way. Mm-hmm. When it's closed, it does feel a little warehousey. It's not the the stadium itself doesn't have the most personality. Although they're working on it, they have done a few things in the last few years to to make make the experience better. But it's it's far far better when it's open. Um, unfortunately, now that it's uh, mid-October, probably very few of the games the rest of the way will have an open will have the dome open. Tom, these are two fresh faces that are facing each other in uh, Cleveland and Toronto, obviously, uh, and I think in that way there should be something of a curiosity factor as these teams get going. A lot of people have not had a chance to lock in on how good the talent is on these two rosters. Can you talk about that and how this matchup shapes up? Yeah, it seems like it'll be a good matchup. Uh, the Jays this year, last year, we scored the most runs in the league. We'd win games like 9-7, score 10 runs at a time. 
this year we have haven't been scoring the same, but the starting staff has been amazing this year, mm-hmm. and it's 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 been a change for us. Like I'm used to watching games with lots of scoring, and and it took me a while to start to appreciate three to two games and two one games. It's a whole different experience watching the game. Since the end of the season, the guys have started hitting again. September was terrible for our bats. Uh, the slugging average, the team's slugging average for September was under 400, which is really unusual for the Jays. Mm-hmm. But it seems like there was lots of little nagging injuries that seem to have gone better now. But it, it's been a fun thing watching, you know, a pitching and defense team after we were used to a, slug, a slugging team. How well does the ball travel at the Rogers Center? Um, quite well. It's a it's a it's a hitter's park. It's a home run park. We get more than the average number of home runs. It's yeah, it travels really well. It does seem that it travels a little better with the roof open, but even with the roof closed, when you hit the ball hard, it'll go out. Well, Tom, you have a lot of fun with this. I think uh, the fans are going to really be in it. It's always great to see baseball played in October north of the border, and you have the right facility for it, so it'll be comfortable for everybody. They can enjoy it and have a great time. So fill the place up. Have a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm going to be there for the three three games next week. I'll be the guy in the Jays cap and the blue jersey, just if you're watching. Very good. Well, hold on to your beer, will you? I will. (laughs) Tom Dakers, managing editor of Bluebird Banner, the SB Nation site. Check it out. All of the latest dope on what's going on. It's right there at SB Nation. So, uh, Tom, we thank him for the visit. Tom Dakers, our guest. And we'll be back with more of Stadiums USA right here on SB Nation Radio. How would you like to get all of your favorite NBA team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Check out fanessentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team and every month you get your team's gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to. Each fan box comes packed full with amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan. Prices start at just $34.99. Visit fanessentials.net and use promo code STADIUM and check out for 30% off your first month. Visit fanessentials.net to get all of the essentials you need. Time to talk shop once again, and in steps Mark Madoran, president and creator of the Stadiums USA website. And we remind you that Stadiums USA is the nation's preeminent source for stadium information. Be sure to check it out. It's as close as stadiumsusa.com on your browser. Also, you can listen to podcasts of Stadiums USA Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network and subscribe to us on iTunes. And, of course, catch the program each week right here on SB Nation Radio. Mark, here's something that's fascinating as a lead-off item. We learned this week of a new site, another site that could be the future location of the Oakland A's ballpark. What's going on here? 
Well, MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred said he hopes that news of a new A stadium project will be public within the next year. There are some who have said that a site up the road at 66th Avenue and Interstate 880 is a good possibility. Another unidentified source said the A's are looking at a parcel of land near Laney College. So those two sites are both in play now. The current stadium site remains the first choice, but because that facility is shared with the Raiders, the options are much more limited. Uh, Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff has said that baseball is her first priority. The A's ownership group is exploring site options for a new ballpark with her included in the decision. Rob Manfred said he spends more time with the Oakland owners than with any other team in Major League Baseball. <laughs> I have to say, Bill, it's hard to keep track of this story on a day-to-day -day basis. Much of what's happening here happens behind closed doors. All we hear is kind of rumor and innuendo. Uh, the story's like an octopus. Which tentacle are you going to follow today? And we don't know which one is the possible answer, but we know there's an awful lot of options out there. And we know the A's are pursuing some of them, but we have no idea how this is going to play out. So yeah. your guess is as good as mine when it comes to what the eventual solution will be to the A's problem. I'm sure they will stay in Oakland, but where that stadium will be built and what kind of stadium it'll be at this point, I don't really know. Mark, advancements in technology and architecture are allowing the natural sunlight to shine through a number of these new roofed stadiums. Of course, the U.S. Bank Stadium, that's the one with that translucent cover. That's a great example right there. But we're starting to see a few issues popping up when the sun is bright and bearing down on places like AT&T Stadium in Dallas and Lucas Oil Field in Indianapolis. So I'm going to get out my Ray-Bans and put them on right now uh, as you shine some light on this. What's going on here? <laughs> well, watching this weekend's games, it was easy to see how the indoor and retractable dome venues have ignored traditional football field wisdom. Remember, when we were kids, we always said, you know, the, this guy can run north and south, but he's running too much east and west. And that, because football fields are always built on that traditional north-south platform. Mm-hmm. Modern dome stadium technology, that's not true. Stadiums now run east and west if you look at the actual orientation to the earth in relation to the field. But when it's a domed or a trackable dome stadium, they don't really care because the sun is not an issue typically. AT&T Stadium, designed by HKS, the big architectural firm in Dallas, has one end zone that's really covered, bathed in sunlight, during late afternoon games. And we saw that recently when some of the receivers had trouble finding the ball in the sun. Um, HKS Vice President Brian Truby said the sun angles were considered during the design, but the stadium was built to maximize site development as part of a master plan. In other words, they didn't really care about the football game. They knew there were going to be concerts in there. There are going to be baseball in there. There's going to be basketball in there. Um, and there's other things going on around the stadium. So they weren't that concerned about the orientation and the sunlight possibilities. There are possibilities of 15 and 20 story buildings going on around the AT&T property as the master plan is developed. So I think they 
felt more about the master plan than they did about an individual football game. So it was much less of a factor in their design. So that's why you see so much sunlight in some of the games now is that uh, they really weren't thinking of that as their number one priority. This is a hot topic for them in Dallas, and I'll tell you why. All you have to do is think back to Texas Stadium and all of the light problems that stadium had. That's true. And if you watch the Bears uh, Colts game last weekend when Lucas Oil Stadium had the um, the roof open. It wasn't very enjoyable watching on TV because the contrast between sunlight and shadow made it really difficult for the TV people to give you a real solid picture because they had to keep adjusting as the players had moved from light to dark. So mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of TV executives were saying, why did that roof have to be open today? Yeah, indeed. Mark, one of the highlight games this weekend takes place in beautiful and iconic Neyland Stadium on the campus of the University of Tennessee. The Vols are hosting top-ranked Alabama. That ought to be a very good game. Neyland Stadium is readying for a major makeover, Mark, that will change the complexion of the venue. What can you tell us? Neyland Stadium at the University of Tennessee is going to be getting a $109 million renovation. The stadium is 95 years old, and unfortunately, there are parts of the stadium that show its age. The work on Neyland will include moving back that padded brick wall at the south end zone. As you remember, many times those players come off that end zone and the wall is so close that uh, you're worried about the health of those players Mm -hmm. coming through the end zone. So they're going to move the proximity of that wall back so there's a safety factor for the players. All right, Mark, time to take a look at significant stadium and ballpark events. Looking back, what do you have for this week in stadium history? This week in 1916, the Brooklyn Dodgers owner Charles Ebbets is the first to raise ticket prices for the World Series. He raises the prices from $3 to $5 a ticket. So <laughs> there must have been a big demand to raise the price that high. I'll say. Five bucks a ticket. You can't even buy a bucket of popcorn for that anymore. <laughs> 1971, Three River Stadium in Pittsburgh is the site of the first ever World Series night game between the Pirates and Orioles. Isn't it hard to imagine that they never played night baseball in the World Series <laughs> until 71. It's almost unreal. This week in 1980, the first pro basketball game at Reunion Arena in Dallas, an exhibition game between the Mavericks and the Spurs. Mavericks beating the Spurs in that game. Did you ever work at Reunion Arena? I was at that game, Mark. That very game it was actually part of a doubleheader. The Houston Rockets also played, and they played in front of the Mavericks. And if I remember correctly, they played the Kansas City Kings that night. So I was there the very first night that that arena opened. And yes, I did work a lot of events out of there. It was an oversized version of the summit in houston as i remember it and bill from our stadiums usa quiz this week located on stadiumsusa.com here is this week's difficult quiz question for you (laughs) this is a toughie the afc nfc pro bowl game has existed since the afl nfl merger in 1970 which one of the following has never hosted a pro bowl game and they should be lucky they didn't because I've seen the Pro Bowl, and it isn't much of a game. But nonetheless, okay, here are the four. Aloha Stadium in Honolulu. Okay. Arrowhead Stadium, Kansas City. Okay. Orange Bowl in Miami. Mm -hmm. And the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. 
All right, let's do this by a process of elimination here. Aloha Stadium obviously is out. That's I think true. They've hosted as many as any. I know the Orange Bowl in Miami had it in the early years, so they're out. That leaves Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City and the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. And, Mark, I'm going to go with Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. I don't believe they've ever hosted it. An excellent guess but incorrect. (laughs) (laughs) It is the Cotton Bowl in Dallas that has never hosted this uh, exhibition Pro Bowl game. All right. Well, very good, Mark. As always, a pleasure. Have a good week. We'll see you next week. Bill, enjoy college football at Reeser Stadium, (laughs) home of the Beavers, Oregon State, Corvallis, Oregon. Oh, I love it. And drive safely on your way home, which should be no problem in Corvallis. All right. Coming up, a real treat, a conversation with Cleveland Indians play-by-play voice Tom Hamilton, who talks about baseball excitement on the banks of Lake Erie. I know something's going on with the Indians right now. We'll check it out on SB Nation Radio. How would you like to get all of your favorite NBA team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Check out FanEssentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team, and every month you get your team's gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to. Each fan box comes packed full with amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan. Prices start at just $34.99. Visit fanessentials.net and use promo code STADIUM and check out for 30% off your first month. Visit fanessentials.net to get all of the essentials you need. First, it was the Cavaliers. Now, can the Indians follow up with another championship for the city of Cleveland? We're going to dive into Indians baseball with the play-by-play voice of the Indians, Tom Hamilton, who has co-authored a book called Glory Days in Tribe Town that chronicles the history of baseball on the banks of Lake Erie. It's very appropriate considering the Indians are fighting for the American League pennant. Tom, welcome aboard and tell us about the book and uh, some of the great stadium stories that you tell in there. Well, thanks, Bill. I appreciate you having me on. And yeah, Terry Pluto, who really, he did the brunt of the work. He's a local writer here in Cleveland and has written a number of books, and uh, Terry came up with the idea a couple of years ago as, you know, we were approaching 20 years since the ballpark opened, uh, Jacobs Field opened in 1994, and it really coincided with the golden era of Indians baseball. Not only did you move into truly one of the jewels in baseball, Mm -hmm. but uh, the ball club went from being a a 40-year loser to getting you know competitive and then getting to the World Series in 1995 for the first time in 41 years. So Terry just thought it'd be a good time to look back at what had happened 20 years ago. And for people in Cleveland, Bill, it still is looked upon almost as if it happened yesterday. The Indians had been really a joke as far as ever being competitive since really their glory days in the 50s when they had the great pitching staffs. And then they basically went 40 years without not even getting to postseason, but many of those years not being very competitive. And 
they played in an awful facility, Municipal Stadium uh, on Lake Erie, and an 80,000-seat stadium that many times had 1,200 people in it. And uh, Again, I think unless you were here, uh, Clevelanders had kind of really grown weary of being almost a national joke, a punchline for the late-night talk shows and comedians and whatnot. And that ball club and that ballpark really helped change the image of Cleveland and the perception and uh, for the first time in a long time made Clevelanders very proud. Uh, You talk about the old stadium, Cleveland Municipal Stadium. It was huge, but it was so large, uh, I don't know how anybody was close enough to uh, really enjoy not only baseball, but also professional football in there. Well, I would agree, Bill. First and foremost, the stadium was built in hopes of, of getting the Olympic Games. And that was why it was such a large facility when you you think of it opening up when it did back in the, the 30s and 40s. I mean, there weren't many stadiums that big, but of course, if you wanted to get the Olympic Games, you were going to have to have that kind of a venue. Well, needless to say, the Olympic Games never came to Cleveland, and so you were stuck. It was brand new, obviously, but you were going to have to play in it whether you wanted to or not. Uh, I think for Browns fans, it became much more of a place that for them created great memories. But for Indians fans, it was too big. And really, it coincided with the the ball club also really going the other way. You know, the Bob Fellers, the the early wins, the Mike Garcias, the Herb Scores, the Rocky Calavitos, they were all gone. Ironically, being from Wisconsin myself, I didn't realize it at the time and until I got to Cleveland, and part of it was due to the movie Major League, but much of that movie was filmed at Milwaukee's County Stadium because County Stadium was a building that was modeled after Cleveland Municipal Stadium, just a, a smaller version of that. And for people that don't remember County Stadium, uh, there, there are a lot of similarities, with the exception that Cleveland Municipal was, was much bigger. Yeah. I never forgot the first time I saw a televised game that came out of Jacobs Field, which we now know as Progressive Field. And I saw that view to left field, which opens onto the Cleveland skyline. And I thought to myself, this is a picture postcard. What is that view worth? What type of a sense uh, did you get of that and what it meant to people looking in, perhaps from around the country during the World Series of 95, seeing that? It had to be a real eye-opener, I would think. Yeah, I think it really was, Bill. That's why I I maintain to this day that the perception of Cleveland changed primarily because of Jacobs Field and those Indians teams. First off, you, you go back now, it's hard to visualize it now, but in 1994 when Jacobs Field opened, that was really only the second new ballpark in all of baseball. Um, The other, of course, was Camden Yards, which is still one of the great parks in the game. Back then, nobody else had those kind of parks. We had all those cookie cutters in Cincinnati and Pittsburgh and Philly and St. Louis where they played football and baseball. You know, today's generation of kids can't believe it when you say they used to play football and baseball in the same stadium. So that just doesn't happen anymore. And, And so that made Jacobs Field so special because there just weren't any other parks like that outside of Baltimore. And I think that also gave people around the country a different view or perception of the city of Cleveland. And then you couple that with the fact that you had the most entertaining team in the game, a team whose lineup 
is still second to none uh, as far as any lineup that I have seen in 25 years. You couple that with that ballpark, the fact that we were seen nationally so much of the time because we were in the playoffs every year, it did. It, it went a long way to changing what people had thought of Cleveland because for a lot of people, they maybe were really seeing the city for the first time and, and uh, looked at it in a different light. Tom, congratulations. You've earned 25 years in the Cleveland Indians broadcast booth, and that is a very impressive achievement. I know everybody loves you there. All the best and continued success. Well, Bill, thanks so much. I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you, Tom. Tom Hamilton, longtime broadcaster for the Cleveland Indians. That's our program for this week. Join us again next week for Stadiums USA on Blog Talk Radio. Thank you.